Check, check, check. There we go. Thank you, Dell. Good to be with you all, Vertical. Uh, Baylor and Waco do hold a special place in my wife and I's hearts. I did grad school here. My wife did undergrad here. And our children will not go here unless you all want to pay their tuition. Someone get a hat going. That would be great. Um, so I thought we would start with a few pictures I took the other day with my phone. No filter here. Um, let's get that first one up there if we could. I'm going to have to stand here to see. Yeah. So this little guy, this is a picture I took the other day. This is the Orion Nebula. So this is a cavern of rolling dust and gas where thousands of stars are being born. So thousands of stars are being born right there, right now. If you weren't in this basement, you, you could see it. Uh, let's go to the next slide now. This is a butterfly nebula, an exploding cauldron of gas heated to over 36,000 degrees, racing across the universe at approximately 600,000 miles an hour. Now this next one is a very famous picture called Pillars of Creation. Uh, so those columns you see there are these huge columns of hydrogen gas that look really little, but that are actually five light years tall. So if you were traveling at the speed of light, it would take you five years to get from the bottom to the top of those little guys. All right, this next one is called Eta Carinae. It's a supermassive star estimated to be 100 times bigger than our sun and perhaps the biggest star in the entire galaxy. And even though this star is 7,500 light years away, I'm good. if it exploded at just the right angle, it would cause such a powerful gamma ray burst that it would destroy life on Earth from 7,500 light years away. Now, this next one, this is my favorite. Uh, these are two spiral galaxies, people. Right? These are not a supernova, not a star. No, no, they contain millions and billions of supernovas and stars and planets, two spiral galaxies moving past each other like massive ships in the black ocean of the universe. If you're anything like me, you see pictures like this, things that exist out in our world, and there's really only one word you can use to describe it, yeah? And that word is wow. Wow. Which brings us to a question. All right, let's get that next slide up there. Why do we bother with astronomy when people are starving in the world? Why don't we, why don't we take time to stare at stars and go, wow, when people are starving in the world? Well, a few years ago, a young man named Guy Consolmagno was lying in bed. And he was unable to sleep. He was 30 years old with a Ph.D. in planetary science. He had done postgraduate work at MIT and Harvard, which... For those of you who don't know, are schools for people who are too dumb to get into Baylor. Uh, he, had taught, he had taught at MIT and Harvard. Uh, he was, no pun intended, a rising star in the field of astronomy, gazing through million-dollar telescopes on a daily basis. His eyes had seen things that few other eyes would ever see, comets hurling through solar systems, supernova explosions, the birth of stars. Now, I loved what he did. There he was lying in bed, unable to sleep, thinking about leaving his career as an astronomer because he just couldn't answer this question. Why do I bother staring at stars when people are starving in the world? I mean, isn't staring at stars just a massive waste of time when matters of life and death are constantly pressing in on us? And who's got time for comets and supernovas when we're surrounded by empty stomachs and broken hearts? Why do we bother with astronomy when people are starving in the world? Now, that is a disturbing question because we could replace the word astronomy with any number of things, you know. For example, why do we bother with music 
when people are starving in the world? Why do we bother with sports when people are starving in the world? After this weekend, you might be wondering that. Uh, Why do we bother with laughter and parties and worship and vertical when people are starving in the world? Since we started vertical at 9 p.m., around 450 people, mostly children, have died of starvation. And so why are we sitting here in this basement singing songs and staring at stars? That's the question I want to tackle tonight. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis 1. We're going to read through some portions of it, slowly taking in all the images, all the sounds, because you'll never be able to understand why humans need to bother with things like astronomy, music, worship, and vertical until you understand Genesis 1. All right, so turn to Genesis 1. should be pretty easy to find. Uh, You'll start verses 1 through 5, then we'll go 14 through 23 then end in verse 31. So Genesis 1, 1 through 5, starting out. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and it was void, and there was this darkness over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. All right, verse 14 now. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. Oh, and he made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the night and the day and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning fourth day. Then God said, well, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Verse 31 now. God saw all that he had made and behold, very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. All right, Genesis 1. So over the years, there has been a lot of bloodshed in relation to Genesis 1. You know, are we, are we supposed to read it all literally? Are we supposed to read it all figuratively? How old is the earth? How long are the days? And most importantly, where the heck are the dinosaurs? You know, was there no room for them on the ark? These are the questions that haunt. And while some of those questions are very interesting... Is that JC on the dino? Okay. (laughs) While some of those questions are interesting, uh, most of them are simply exercises in missing the point. Because Genesis 1 is really less about science, and it's more about a song. Genesis 1, it's less about science, and it's more about a song. Indeed, it's quite remarkable that across the theological spectrum, liberal, moderate, conservative, whatever, there's this agreement that Genesis 1 actually has more in common with a song that we might sing in worship than with a paragraph that we might read in a scientific textbook. Genesis 1 got more in common with a song than with science. I mean, just listen to it, right? It has this very clear cadence and rhythm. Then God said, let there be light, and there was, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let there be a sky, and there was, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let there be oceans and lands and trees, and there was, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let there be sun and moon and stars, and there was, and God saw that it was good. Unless you're tone deaf, 
you hear it. You hear that rhythm and groove. And then God said, and there was, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, and there was, and God saw that it was good. Genesis 1 tells us the truth about creation, no doubt about it. And it tells us the truth in a song. Genesis 1 is a song. And it's no mere coincidence that the story of creation is told in a song. So, show of hands, really stupid question. How many of you like music? Yeah? All of you. All of you like music. And you want to know why you all like music? Because everybody likes music. Black people, white people, young people, old people, rich people, poor people. Everybody likes music. If you don't like music, there's something wrong with you, right? You need help. You need Jesus. We'll pray for you afterwards. We'll get the prayer team together and we'll pray for you. Everybody likes music. You might like different types of music, but everybody likes music. But why do we like music so much, huh? Why do we like music so much? Well, in 2001, a pair of neuroscientists from the University of Montreal tackled this question, and here's what they found. When we do certain things, our brains reward us with a rush of something called dopamine. Now, dopamine is a neurotransmitter that basically makes us feel good. So, for example, when I eat food or you eat food, your brain rewards you with a rush of dopamine. That's why you like eating food so much. Or when you have sex, your brain rewards you with a rush of dopamine. That's why you like having sex so much. Not that any of you should know about that. Uh, But why do our brains do this? Why do our brains do this? Well, the evolutionary theory is that our brain rewards behaviors that contribute to the survival of the species, right? Things like food and sex. So, for example, when I eat food and I do something that helps the human race thrive and survive, my brain goes, good job, Austin. Here's some dopamine. It'll make you feel good because I want you to keep eating food. I have sex. My brain goes, good job, Austin. Here's some dopamine. It'll make you feel good because it's good for the human race for you to do this. Uh, And that actually is a pretty sound theory. I think it makes sense to me. But here's where things get interesting. The study found that listening to music also causes our brain to reward us with a rush of dopamine. Now we listen to music and for some reason our brain goes, good job Austin, here's some dopamine. It'll make you feel good. Keep listening, keep listening to the music. Now, and this has puzzled the scientific community because you know, music doesn't help contribute to the survival of the species. We don't need music. It doesn't sustain us physically. It doesn't aid in procreation, although sometimes it helps. Uh, and so why... <laughs> Why would our brain, glad you caught that, why would our brain want us listening to music? Why would our brain want us listening to music? And the scientists, they're all very puzzled by all this, by our primal attraction to music, but I can't help but think that it's actually pretty obvious if you've just read Genesis 1 where the story of creation is told in a song because creation itself is best understood as a song. Let me say that again. The story of creation is told in a song in Genesis 1 because creation itself is best understood as a song, by which I mean creation is something unnecessary, gratuitous, over-the-top, insane, extravagant, as Job 38, 4, and 7 says it. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? It's Proverbs 8, 30-31 says it. Then I was beside God as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Stars singing, all creatures shouting, and God himself having an insanely good time with the whole thing. Creation is a song, an unexpected and needless expression of the love, delight, and beauty of God. It's something God doesn't need, but wants 
just because, just because he can, just because he feels like it, as David Bentley Hart says, creation is a wonderfully wrought hymn to the power of the Almighty. The order of the universe is a kind of musical harmony gathered by an inward rhythm and a chord pervaded by an essential symphony. Creation is a magnificent music whose measure and refrains rise up to the pleasure and glory of God. Translation, all that to say, why do our brains reward us with a rush of dopamine when we listen to music? Well, obviously, because when we do, we are hearing echoes of God and all of us creatures singing the song of creation. I mean... Has it ever dawned on you just what creation is? Just what your existence is? Have you ever had one of those moments, you know, one of those moments? The sun sets and your eyes just can't quite take in the infinite horizon of color. A crimson leaf breaks off the only tree it has ever known and takes a ride on the chilly November breeze. An old married couple walks across the street holding hands. Come on, a newborn baby smiles at you, and you think your heart just might literally explode with the joy and wonder of it all. And in those moments, man, you get it. You see it. You hear it. You hear all the pain and all the hurt and all the suffering, and God knows there's a lot of it. But behind it all, you hear another song. You hear a truer song. You hear the song of creation and you understand if only for a moment that every breath in and every breath out is a gift so unnecessary and extravagant and unexpected that all you can do is fall on your knees stuttering stammering as you search for the right words and when you finally find them all you can say is wow because that's what worship is falling at your knees at the beauty of it all, at the glory of a God who would do something like this and saying, wow. I like to call it the good news before the bad news before the good news. Now, you have heard that you have to hear the bad news of sin before you hear the good news of the gospel, and that's true. But don't you ever forget that the Bible starts with good news, not bad news. Namely, God doesn't need any of this, doesn't need me, doesn't need you, doesn't need anything. No, 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 God wants all of this. God wants us. The Bible starts with original blessing, not original sin. And that's very, very, very important. So let's go back for a second before Genesis 1. Let's go back for a second before time as we know it. Let's go back before the in the beginning. So before creation, what do you think God was doing? Uh Was he? Sitting around, bored and lonely, crying himself to sleep at night, checking his iPhone for a new Snapchat message. No, nobody else exists. (laughs) Still just me. Still just me. No! Right? God from all eternity is one God in three persons, sharing a limitless life of delight, community, feasting, love, and joy. The life of God is infinite music. Quite simply, God is has always been and will always be the happiest person in the whole universe. As Dallas Willard says it, we've got to understand that God leads a very interesting life and that He's full of joy. Undoubtedly, God is the most joyous being in the universe. And all the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy, God continuously experiences in all their breadth and depth and richness. Think about the happiest moment of your life. Moment when you thought you were about to spontaneously combust with joy and wonder. If you're having a hard day, check this picture out. 
Oh, yeah. Mm, that's good. That, my friends, is what all of God's life is like. And creation is a song, is an expression of that. Now, if all that sounds too good to be true to you, yeah? Sounds too good to be true. And your inner skeptic, we all got one. We all got one. Starts rolling his eyes and spewing his tired, bored cynicism. Nah, man, what's all this dude talking about creation being a song? If that's you, then that means that you're starting to hear it. Because if it doesn't sound too good to be true, you haven't heard it yet. If the song of creation, if the gospel doesn't sound too good to be true to you, that just means you haven't heard it yet. It's supposed to sound too good to be true. It just happens to be too good not to be true. The French novelist Antoine de Saint-Exupéry says this. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them task and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Now what our friend Antoine is getting at here is a simple a very powerful observation about the way human beings are wired. So if you want to motivate people to do something, in this case, build a ship, just in case you ever do, uh, you don't want to just start assigning them tasks and chores. You know, like, hey, you go collect some wood, you get some tools, you sketch out some blueprints, then you start nailing the wood together. No, 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 no. Uh, if you try to motivate people with tasks and chores, then they will do it, but eventually they will do it poorly, and ultimately they will quit. And so if you want to motivate people to build a ship, you don't lecture them about how important ships are. You don't assign them tasks and chores. If you want to motivate people to build a ship, then, man, you take them to the edge of the ocean. You let them feel the sand beneath their feet, the breeze in their face, the tide around their ankles. You let them hear the swell of the waves. You let them look around and wonder and awe at the infinite blue horizon. Take people to the edge of the ocean. Show it to them. Let it grab them. Let it grab their dreams and their imaginations. And they will build you a ship because they long for the endless immensity of the sea. Which brings us back to that question we started tonight with. Why do we look at stars when people are starving in the world? Well, our friend Guy Consolmagno just couldn't find a good answer to that question, so he eventually left his career as an astronomer, actually, and he joined the Peace Corps, uh, hoping to help fill the starving bellies of uh, men, women, and children, and they sent him to Africa. And he found his work in Africa very meaningful. He got to share the love of Christ with all these starving men, women, and children. What could possibly be better, more meaningful than that. Well, Guy still had a soft spot in his heart for astronomy. So every once in a while, he would take his little telescope out to these villages he went to. And every last person in the village would run out and they would look through his little telescope and they would see the moons of Jupiter. They'd see the rings of Saturn. They'd see the craters on the moon. Their eyes would grow wide and they would look at him and they would say, And that was when Guy understood why we need to look at stars even when people are starving in the world. You see, while we have a deep and unspeakable need, and God knows it is, to be physically and emotionally fulfilled, we have an equally deep need to be left existentially speechless. We don't just need to feel fed and happy. We need to feel 
wonder. And that's why even in a world filled with empty stomachs and broken hearts, and ours is, we need to see the stars shining, the sun setting, the ocean swelling, the baby smiling. We need to take a break from our task and chores, walk to the edge of the ocean, hear the infinite song of creation, and fall on our knees at the sheer wonder, surprise, and beauty of it all. And say... Wow. Wow. And that is why we do vertical. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your love and for your mercy. Thank you for a brief space and time where we can slow down, give you our attention, and see what happens. God, I know that a lot of us walk in here with a lot of baggage A lot of us have some very broken hearts. We know people who have empty stomachs. And so help us, God, in the midst of a world that can be very broken, to see the fundamental beauty in creation. God, to see that creation is a song, it's a good song. Exploding with joy, wonder, happiness, revelry, peace. And help us to be people who carry that beauty, that song of creation, out to the rest of the world. Teach them to sing along. So we pray that in these moments now, as we just take a little time to respond, God, that you would stir our hearts. I pray for some of us who are just really, really sad. I see it in a lot of our faces. That you'd remind us that our story starts and it ends with really good, beautiful news. And it would fill us with hope. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.